0: Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you, to look at your word and see what you would have us learn from your word. And we just thank you in Jesus name. Amen. We're continuing in Ecclesiastes chapter five. We're going to be starting at verse nine. And just remember to lay down the groundwork. Uh, This is Solomon's drudgery at life. He's in a bad place at this point. At this particular section, he ends up talking a little bit about God, a little bit more, but he's still on the negative side. Remember that at the end of the book on Ecclesiastes 12:13, he's going to say, Let us hear the conclusion of the matter, the, of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. If God is not in the center of your life, everything else is as dismal as Solomon makes it look. And we, if you've been there, you know it. If you're still there, you know it. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 9. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there for the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of the laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail. He begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And shall take nothing for of his labor which he may carry away in his hand and this also is a sore evil in that all points as he came so shall he go and what profit has he that, that hath labored for for the wind all his days also he eats in darkness and he has much sorrow and wrath with his sickness behold that which i have seen it is good and comely to For one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of his labor that he takes under the sun all the days of his life which god gives him for it is his portion every man also to whom god hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor this is a gift of god for he shall not much remember the days of his life because god answered him in the joy of his heart so we look at this in Solomon starts out and says, the earth provides. And that is true of all of us, you know, in his day it was agrarian, you went out, you planted your field, you got your crops, uh, you, you, you could go get silver and, and riches and buy your crops. And you know, for us, we can work and earn a living. And he says, that's pretty much what was happening. If you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, remember Adam and Eve were created and God gave them a job. They were to tend the garden and provide for themselves from the garden. And I've always said, I don't know how much work it was to take care of a perfect garden that nothing died, no weeds, no thorns. All you had to do is decide, I want to put a tree over here and plant a tree, or, or I want a tomato plant over here. and It would really really be an easy garden, and I probably could even grow something in it in the Garden of Eden. Uh, yeah, you know, my wife laughs. She knows I've got a black thumb. If I touch the plant, it dies. So I don't, I don't even touch them. I don't even hardly look at them because they're probably going to die. Uh, but I could grow something. I could have grown something in the Garden of Eden because it was a perfect environment. Um, but then he goes on and says, "He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver." And he's putting on here those who have all their love, all of their care on money are never gonna be satisfied. There's never enough money. Now, having said that, I wanna make sure I make a great point. You do not have to be rich and wealthy to love money. I've seen a lot of people, very poor people, that always want more. I want more money, I want more money. Now, they may not always be willing to work for the money and earn it, but they want more. And they're very envious of those who have And the rich people are envious of those who have more. If you love money, you're going to be in the midst of all that envy. You, somebody's always got more than you do and you never have quite enough. And this is what Solomon is saying. Solomon knows he has made silver as dust. He's made gold over abundance. He's got gems and jewels everywhere and physical money is not of any value to him. And he still doesn't feel he has enough. All right? And if you've ever met somebody like this, and again, I'm not saying they have to be rich. I've met many, I've met rich people who are this way, but I've met a lot of poor people who always want more. Never happy with what they've, whatever they have. And we need to learn. Paul said, I have learned to be in content with much or with little. Our contentment must be in what God gives us. You know, that doesn't mean we can't, strive to be better off, get a better job, save a little more. But our contentment must be in God, not the money that we saved, not the money that we put in. And we're going to be told all through Proverbs, you know, plan for the future, put money away for for the days when you get old and can't work all, all your life. But I don't put my trust in that money. And I've told people the other day, I mean, I've got a 401k, I've got retirement, the plans in there. I'm not going to be rich when I retire, but I have plans. We have supplemental incomes. But what if the market fell tomorrow and everything went out the window? My hope is in God, not my savings. And so we, this is what Paul, uh, Solomon is saying. Don't put your love for money, your great desire for the money. Then he goes on and if it wasn't money, don't put it in abundance and increase. <laughs> You know, I've got houses. I've got homes. I've got vehicles. I've got, um, I've got my rental properties. I've got my you know investments in art and all these other things. He does. Don't put if your love is there. You're still never going to have enough to satisfy. And this is what he's telling us. Our satisfaction must come from God. And it can be anything. We can we can be envious and covetous of any number of things. And our focus is on them. We will never be pleased for some people it has been family i just want to take care of my family and my family will make me happy you know uh doesn't happen you know you'll have your times of happiness with your family but you're and all of us know your kids will break your heart often you know break your heart on directions they go and the things they do and the activities they take and your happiness will never come from the kids and this is what he's telling us all of these things and then he says, that's all vanity, and in verse 11 he says, when, good increase, when goods increase, they are increased that eat them, and what good is it to the owners thereof? Now this verse is kind of an interesting one because, and I've experienced this, the more money we made, the more money we spent. You know, and it wasn't all going to God. Now, we kept our tithes and everything, and usually our, and our offerings over the years. But you know, all we did is instead of living in the house that was on the edge of the of the uh, bad neighborhoods, we moved up to a better ne- neighborhood. And the more money you make, the better neighborhood you move in, the nicer car you make, the nicer clothes you, you wear, and all, and this is what Solomon's saying, you make more money, you spend more money. And beyond that, your taxes go up, and you end up paying taxes, and you're, you start getting all kinds of other expenses you didn't have when you were you, were, you didn't have the money and part of our problem in, in today's world are too many people are wanting to live like they have money going broke because they're spending all their money and then complaining they can't live on their paycheck. Well my answer is always the same live on what you make. You know, don't have $150 bill, a $150 cable bill. Don't, you don't need the newest, greatest cell phone. You probably don't even need a cell phone. To, you know, make the, make the decisions to live within your means. And this is what Solomon is saying here. These people, the more they make, the more they spend. And it says it, it increases. Then he goes into something really interesting in verse 12. The sleep of the labor, laboring man is sweet whether he has much or little. The person who is laboring for their income, living within their means, goes to bed satisfied, content, they feel just fine, they have what they had their, their needs taken care of and they can sleep. He said the rich man can't sleep. Why? Well, they're worried about stock market crashing, their business not opening, somebody coming and stealing their stuff, You know, the, the banks uh, shutting down, because their, their love is of their money, they're worried about anything that can take and decrease the value of their money. And I've known many people that have desired great wealth or were fairly wealthy, and they oftentimes just could not get a good night's sleep because of all their worries. This is why contentment in God is so important. God will meet your needs. If you're honoring him, with your ties and offerings he will meet your needs because that's what he's promised. And anyway, every morning when you wake up, there's air to breathe, there's sunlight out there. You know, there's still ground underneath your feet. It's a good thing. He's blessing us even if we just wake up. He's blessed us. And then he's promised I feed the birds of the air, I feed all these things. The the land is adorned. You know, Have you ever heard somebody say you eat like a bird? Do you realize that birds eat three times their weight in food every day? There's no human being that eats like a bird. But I'm making the point of God provides the birds lots of food. And they don't go out and harvest. They don't go out and plant. God says, I take care of them. He takes care of all the other animals. He provides food, sometimes other animals, but (laughs) he provides them their food. Uh, Lynn was commenting as we came up here. You know, look at all the jackrabbits. You know, and they're, you know, the jackrabbits are here to feed the other animals. You know, uh, somebody else had commented. You know, all the grasshoppers coming out just about the time all these birds are hatching their young and need to be fed. You know, God's providing for all these animals and, and everything He provides for us. But if our focus is on our goods, all we do is worry. We worry all the time. And human beings have the great capacity to worry. What about tomorrow? In Peter, we're told, cast all our cares or our worries on him, for he cares for us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't make plans. I mean, again, we're, we're encouraged. Make plans. Make plans for retirement. Make plans. You know, if you're running a business, you, buy the, you order the stuff the day or two before you need it so that you can use it when it comes in. You don't wait till it's out and say, hey, okay, God, where, where's the stuff I need to build, to build the next item? You make some plans, but we don't put our, all of our hope in those plans, and we don't worry about those things. And it's been said that most of what we worry about never happens anyway. It's something like 70% of what we worry about doesn't happen, you know. and the 30% that does happen, we couldn't have changed anyway, so it still makes no sense to worry about it. you know. So, We put our hope in God. And in verse 14, but those those riches perish (laughs) with work, with evil work. And this is what happens when we put everything that we have into our goods, our riches, they perish. The great stock market crash took all these people with millions of dollars in their stock accounts and all of a sudden they were penniless. And many of them, if you remember about your history on that, you know, many of them committed suicide, jumped out windows, everything else, because they weren't ready to be penniless because they had all their hope in their money. And we need to be careful about that. Where is our trust? We as Christians are going to be facing persecution at some point in this country. Is it going to be real soon? I don't know. But we're starting to see backlash against Christians and it will come to physical abuse and probably death and uh, prisons you know it's coming possibly in our lifetime and probably in our lifetime but it's coming most of the world already suffers for being a Christian right now there are millions of people every year that die just because they're a Christian around the world we in America hardly ever hear about it unless you're reading Voice of the Martyrs or some of the other conservative uh, items that come out. Our news media does not report any of the killings of Christians unless they go viral like the, the Egyptians that were beheaded on the beach on that video about five, six years ago. That's about the only time you hear it because it went viral. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't hide it. And those people were killed because they were Christian in a Muslim country. We need to be praying. We need to prepare. There's coming a time when we will pay with our freedom at the very least and our lives at the most. But if our focus is on Christ and on his eternity, what is it to lose your life? We as Christians, if we lose our life, it's the greatest thing that can happen to us because we stand before the Father. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's a great thing. Not that we're to go out and get there faster than, than we should by committing suicide, but it is a good thing when we die, we stand before God as his, as his children. When I was young, and I've shared this many times, I used to tell people, you know, well, I'm going to beat you up for your Christian. I go, well, maybe, you know, kill me because of that, 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 you know, just, don't, just don't almost kill me. Kill me so I get to go home. Usually they would back off because they thought I was nuts. You know, but what was I saying? I don't want to suffer. Just kill me and send me home. This is the great thing for us. As Christians, death is not the enemy for us. Death is the free, freedom for us to go home. And we need to be able to realize this. Stephen, standing in, as they're stoning him, stands up and says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father and gladly embraced heaven. Paul says I'm looking forward to death. If they want to kill me, that's that's what God wants. I'm ready for it. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs and all these martyrs were praising God and singing as they embraced the pole that they were being burned on. The ropes would be burned off and they would still be singing and praising God in the fire because God gave them the strength to face that. And then people would get saved because they saw these crazy nuts singing and praising God in the fire as they were being killed. And people would get saved. Where is our hope? Where is our focus? Is it in the things that we can get or is it in God himself? God will give us the strength to go through our troubles. And I've seen so many people, you know, I've talked to many people, well, I'm no longer a Christian because. Well, and they'll, give me all kind, they'll give you all kinds of reasons, all kinds of situations, all kinds of circumstances. And the real reason they're not a Christian anymore is they don't trust God. They didn't trust God in the middle of their circumstances and they walked away from him. Doesn't mean they're not saved. If they were saved, they're still saved. If they're not saved, then they're going to hell because they were never saved. But they chose to walk away from him from lack of trust in him. And this is so important for us to be able to understand. The riches are going to perish. They can disappear overnight. You can be, they can be stolen from you. Your business can crash. Do you realize that most people that are millionaires have been bankrupt on several occasions in their life because they took the chances to make more money? And sometimes they have backfired on them. Uh, Sears, Roebuck, JCPenney, the founder of Caterpillar, Trump himself, you know, one of the big things was Trump's been bankrupt so many times. Of course he's been bankrupt so many times. He's a millionaire. Most millionaires have gone bankrupt several times unless they got their money from their parents and it was all invested. But if they're a self-made millionaire, they have gone bankrupt several times in their life in most cases because they're trying the waters. They're pushing the limits. You know, and it can disappear overnight. You can be on the top one moment and on the bottom the next. But if your faith is in God, it doesn't matter. He says when you're born, you're born with nothing and you're going to end up with nothing. That's what Job said when, when everything was taken away from him. He said, Naked I came into this world, naked I'm going to return. You know, and the, the old joke is you've never see a hearse following the, following the coffin, to, you know, following the person to heaven. When you leave this world, the only thing we will have in heaven is the rewards that we have earned for serving God here on earth. We put our riches in heaven. I'm hoping and praying that when I get to heaven, I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your reward. That's my goal. I want to hear that when I get to heaven. And I'm hoping that everybody else has that desire to hear God say, well done. Well done. Last thing I want to hear from heaven is, well, you made made it in by my grace. Now, it's better better than the alternative. (laughs) But I really do want to hear, well done done good and faithful servant you know heaven is better than not getting there you know just getting in by his grace is better than not having any rewards Uh, it's better than the alternative of not making it in but you know we look at this and he says all of this he says it's a sore evil for people to earn and not get to keep their stuff and that's kind of where we're looking at in our day and world As we look at socialism and communism. All of these plans say, go on and do all this work and then give it to everybody else and you get, to have, you get to have your portion of it and they all get to save in your portion. And what that is is it encourages laziness. It encourages people to not work. Because why would you work? Why would you work hard if you're going to make just as much as somebody else? In Cuba, one of their big problems under their communism is that the taxi driver and the doctor make the same amount of money. Why would anybody want to be a doctor? With eight years of school and all the responsibility for people's lives and you could, or you could just get into a taxi drive and, and drive around and, and move people around and make just as much money. They have trouble getting people to wanna to be doctors because there's no reward and God literally does say, we deserve the reward we get. God is all about property, that we deserve property. How do we know that? Well, one of the Ten Commandments is that you shall not steal. That means somebody owns something that you're trying to take from them. So right in one of the top commandments, God is telling us property ownership is okay, because there wouldn't be no reason to steal. If we didn't own anything, nobody could steal from us. They would just be borrowing something they have just as much right to. God is saying, you have a right to property. You have the right to property. Now we have to remember one thing. We are stewards of God's property. Everything ultimately belongs to God. And we just get to use his property. And this is why when we talk to people about giving to God back what he has, we're really telling people just give God back part of what he's given you. Don't think it's all mine. You know, it, you know, God, i got to hold on to this. It's mine. You can't have it. And God says, open up your hands. It's mine. And I'll give you back much more. And this is the great thing. I love watching God give back the much more. I love on, even on these end of the month dinners, sometimes I've gone up there and I'm going, okay, we don't have a whole lot of food. And we get a bunch of people up there. And I don't think anybody on any end of the month dinner has ever gone, gone away hungry. And there's always been plenty of food, even if there doesn't seem to be enough food. Why? I believe sometimes God has actually performed a miracle up there, and people have taken something out, and nothing disappears from there. Because there's been times when I know there wasn't enough food. When I look around and I'm going, okay, there's only four or five pots up there, and we've got 25 people up here, and everybody goes home full. And it's not like we're telling anybody, don't take very much. There's not, don't take very much. We go, take it. God does little miracles. He performs the little miracles. Have you ever not had much money and you've been honoring God, you've been giving your tithes and offering, you go to the store, you don't have much money and you come back with a huge, huge amount of things because it was the sale day at the business or something or everything you wanted seemed to be on sale that day. I've been there, I've done that. God, I've only got $30 to spend and I've got a whole family to feed and everything I wanted was on sale that day. God blesses in very simple ways. They're not necessarily overly spectacular miracles. He blesses in small ways so often. And then he goes on and he says, all the days that he eats in darkness and he has much sorrow, wrath, and sickness. The person whose whole focus is on riches usually has no happiness. He eats in obscurity. You know, have you ever gone to any kind of big event and watched the faces of some of the people that are spending money, you know, for to support a cause? And, you know, a lot of times they're the rich people. They're up on the dais and you look up there and there's no smiles on anybody's faces. Most of the people are totally miserable. Now, it might be because they spent $500 for that plate of miserable food. But moral fact is just that they said, well, I'm doing something I think I have to do, but I'm not happy with letting my money go. I'm not happy with what I'm doing. If you remember the the Christmas Carol, Scrooge was always unhappy with his little portion of nothing because he was so hoarding his money that he didn't even want to buy food with it. And it wasn't until, if you've read the book and not watched the movies, (laughs) he, he gets to know Jesus and he gets generous and starts giving away that he finally finds happiness. And this is his focus changes. How many times have you given away things just for the sake of giving it away and ended up getting joy? You know, it is ble- more blessed to give than receive is really a true statement. When you're giving things to people and seeing the joy that it brings on their face, it is, I get more blessing from giving. I have learned over the years, don't steal their blessing by not receiving. <laughs> if somebody wants to give you something, take it, be thankful for it, even if you don't think you need it. We got a gift one time that that, uh, we didn't think we needed, so we then gave that gift away to somebody else, but we didn't take their blessing away. If God told them to give it to us, we weren't gonna take it, take their blessing away. We just took it and gave it to somebody else. But you know, are we being really stingy and hoarding our stuff, or are we being as generous as God provides for us? And this is something that he's saying, if you're just gonna be stingy, you're gonna be lonely, you're gonna be angry, because you never have enough and you're never helping anybody with it. And be very careful about that. And then in verse 18, he says, Behold, now I have seen it is good and comely for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all of his labor which he has taken under the sun all the days of his life which God has given him. He says, when God gives you blessings and you've earned those blessings, it is a good thing and i've always enjoyed i've i've been very fortunate i've had good jobs i have loved the jobs i've knew that i've done for the most part and it feels good you help somebody you work with them you you at the prison now i'm now that i'm finally doing the job i was hired to do and train and actually teaching it is fun teaching it is fun teaching them a skill that they're going to be able to use later on in their life i love being a pastor and watching people grow as we teach god's word and see the changes in people's lives I've loved other jobs that I have done all my life. I have enjoyed doing what it is. And you get to the end of the, the week or the two weeks, whatever it might be, and you get a paycheck, and it's like, oh, they even pay me for doing this? You know, that's how I look at being a pastor. I get paid to do what I would have done anyway. You know, it is a great blessing. You go, oh, there's a, there's a check for doing this. You know, but you know, it is so important that we also honor those who deserve to be paid. And that's why we go to work. We go there. We hopefully enjoy your work. It's drudgery going to a job you hate. And hopefully you all have done things that you enjoy doing. Every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and have given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, it is a gift of God. So he's saying, you can have wealth. You can have riches. But you keep your focus on God and he gives you the power to enjoy it. And these, there have been very rich men that have been honoring God. The, the founder of Caterpillar, uh, J.C. Penny, all these men gave away 90% of all the money they, they earned from their businesses. Still ended up as millionaires because they honored God. And they were generous. And, you know, this is very important. The only time that God says to test and try him is in giving your tithes and offering in Malachi. God says, try me and see if I won't rain back blessings. And those blessings could be as simple as stretching your money. Yeah. I have talked to many people and go, well, there's no way I can give to God because I can't live on the 100%. I can't give him 10%. Well, the one thing I have learned, if I don't give him my 10%, that 100% doesn't, doesn't pay the bills. And the 90% usually more than pays the bills. And the 90 plus offerings pays the bills. And gets stretched further. And it's good. Because I am a firm believer. If you don't want to give God his his 10%, he's going to take it. You're going to blow a tire out. You're going to blow an engine out. You're You're going to have your air conditioner go out. You're going to have all kinds of expenses that you shouldn't have. Because God's saying, I'm taking my money. I may be giving it to somebody else, but... I'm taking your money and how many times have you had good experiences when you tithe? I've heard it over and over. I chose to obey God and now I'm being blessed. And it is so true that you can't outgive God. He is going to give back over and over again and, and be super abundantly generous. He gives us air to breathe. He gives us food. He gives us life. He gives us peace. He gives us health. Those alone, our gifts worth worth everything and then he meets all of our needs and if that wasn't enough he even gives us some of our wants you know and this is the great thing god has always met the needs of my family always we've had a house we've had electric we've had gas we've had you know transportation we've had jobs every all the needs have been met and i can't even begin to count how many wants and desires, he's fulfilled as well. God is not in heaven saying, okay, how stingy can I be to my children? Now, I know there are parents out there that are trying to be stingy with their kids and not caring about their kids, but the average parent wants their kids to be blessed. If they can afford it at all, they want to give to their children. God is a great parent he wants to bless us. He's not up in heaven with an eyedropper saying, okay, one drop today for you. Whoops, you got two drops, no, no, no blessings tomorrow. That is not our God. He's up there with a great big bucket and saying, okay, who can I bless? And he dumps the entire bucket over us. Not an eyedropper, not a teaspoon. He is uh, giving us blessings if we're looking for them. We sing the song, and it's one of, my, one of the hymns I love. Count your blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Where is our focus with God? Are we focusing on everything that we don't have, that we can't do? Or are we focusing on the blessings and the greatness of God? You know, Most people, when they look at the Bible, and if you've talked to people about Bible, well, that book is just full of rules of things you can't do. And there, if you want to look at it, there, there are lots of rules in there that tell us what we can't do. But you know what? There's lots of things in there the Bible doesn't tell, talk about at all, which means we can do them. And we need to be looking at God's word and saying, God, what is it that I can do? God, I can I can be generous towards you and others. I can be honoring you. I can be thankful. I can you know, if we want to go through the book, there's there's a whole lot more of positive good things to do the negative don't do things because God wants us to concentrate on the good the positives you know I look at this and you know God says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching come to church in other words I look forward to coming to church it's not drudgery oh god I gotta come to church again on Sunday you know I got so many other better things I could do no I'm going, I, I get to be with God's people and where God's people are, the Holy Spirit is there. And while I'm there, there's going to be some people that are encouraging. There's going to be some people that are teaching. We're going to sing some songs. Some of them I like, some of them I don't like. But God, we're worshiping you. And thank you. Look at all that I can do. And this is the wonderful thing. How are we looking? at? Are we looking at drudgery saying, okay, God, I got to go. You know. Now, if you're a Jewish person, you had to go to the synagogue, you had to go to the, the, the synagogue three times a year. That's all you had to do, go, go, go three times a year to offer your sacrifices. The rest of the time, you didn't have to go to church. Most of them went to synagogue to learn and be encouraged and be trained. But they only had to go to the temple three times a year by law. But they had an opportunity to go and learn. They had the opportunity to go. What is our attitude toward God? Am I looking at saying, God, I get to serve you? Or God, I have to serve you. I want it to be, God, I get to serve you. What can I do for you today, God? Who can I share the gospel with? Who can I bless today? Or, God, you know, all right, God, give me somebody. I'll get my, you know, give me, give me somebody early and I'll get my, I'll get my witness done, you know, first thing in the morning, and then I don't have to talk to them and think about you anymore. Unfortunately, that's a lot of people's attitude. All right, God, you know, uh, pastor has been encouraging us to read our Bible through every year. Okay, let me just get through these real quick. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to... Okay, God, I read my Bible. God, I said my five-minute prayer to you. I'm done praying for the rest of the day. Do we serve him out of that kind of attitude? Or are we looking at him saying, God, I just can't wait. What are you going to show me today in the Word? What are you going to show me in the Word? Who are you going to give me an opportunity to teach? God, can we talk all day? Can we talk all day? How many of you have a friend that you would that you just like to call, you know, not no real reason, you just want to call him and talk to him for a while, you know, uh, just because, you know, just because you're friends. God is supposed to be our friend, and how many, are we really wanting to talk to him? You know, more than five, ten minutes, an hour, you know, whatever it might be. We're told to pray, always. Always be in prayer. Lifting up. God, I see that need. Help that person. God, I see this. Help that person. God, help me. God, show me somebody that I can speak to today. I hope that one of your prayers might be, God, give me somebody today to share the gospel with or to share an encouraging word to. And then take those opportunities. Take those opportunities to share. We've told you about Annie who... Telemarketers probably are going to stop calling her because every time they call her, she starts telling them the gospel. You know, that's an opportunity. How many of us have taken that opportunity? You know, they might start writing on the screens, "Don't call this person." <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, do we take those advantages? Do we share? How many times you've been at the longest line in the grocery store, griping about how long the line is and how long you're spending on it? when you could have been talking to somebody about God. About, it might even be as simple as, what did, you, what did you learn this morning about reading the Bible? One of the things I really hope we start seeing in this church is people coming in and saying, you know what God showed me yet this morning while I was reading the Bible or yesterday when I was reading the Bible? And sharing what you're learning. It shouldn't just be me. That's my job. And I enjoy doing it. God's called me to do it. But I really would love to hear others Saying, wow, you know what? God showed me this in, in his word. You know, I never saw this before. And I'm going to tell you that it's exciting to watch people get into, their wor- into the word. I used to do things like uh, at the end of the month, every month in my Sunday school class. Ask, we're going to have question and answer day. Ask whatever questions you want. And people would come in and go, I've got a question for you, pastor. This is a really hard question. You know what that told me? They've been in their Bible all week. They've been in their Bible trying to find something. Maybe maybe their motive wasn't the greatest motive. They were trying to find something that was going to be difficult for me, but they were in their Bible. And most of the time, the questions weren't all that hard. They were fairly easy questions. But still, they were in the Word. That, to me, is one of the greatest things that can happen, is are we in the Word? Are we getting excited about the Word? It's one thing just to go through and read the Bible every year. Yeah. piece of cake, we, if, you're, if you're a reader, you can read through the Bible one year easily. But the real question is, are you really getting it deep into your soul? Reading it is going to work because God says his word does not return void. Reading it is going to get you information and get you changed. But what if you were to go in and really say, God, what is it you want me to see today? What am I going to meditate on today? I read my sections and I'm going, wow, this really stands out to me. Yeah. And it's amazing to me, as many times as I've read through the word of God, things still jump off the pages at me and sometimes they look like they're brand new and I'm going, God, I don't remember this. I've never seen this before. Now, I know that it was there but there are times when I go, God, when did, why did you add these words to this, <laughs> to this verse? I've never seen them before. Hopefully, you've experienced that. Things jumping off the page at you and saying, today, pay attention. So, my encouragement for today is let's look to God. God, let's put our contentment in God and then watch how he blesses. Don't put your contentment in the blessings he g- gives you because over the years I've seen more people put the, stop being content on God and putting their trust in their blessings. And eventually God may pull those blessings away but there's no pleasure in the blessing. We need to seek the blesser, the giver of those gifts, not the gifts. And this is very important for us. And the greatest gift that he gives us is salvation. You know, people were talking about uh, Jesus' crucifixion before service and it was so important that we understand we as sinners deserve hell and Jesus died for our sins. He came to this world for one reason and one reason only and that was to die. That's what he told Pilate. He goes, Pilate, you think you're in charge of this? This is what I came for. I came for this Day to die and then to be resurrected three days later in victory and power so that we could be redeemed and spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ simply by believing in what he did and truly believing and putting our trust in it. Not just saying, oh yeah, Jesus was alive, he died and he rose again. Okay, great, big deal. No, he died for me. And I accept that. And it says, whomsoever the Son shall set free will be free indeed. When he frees us, he takes all of our guilt, all of our burden away. And we get to be in joy and be in love with him because of that lifting up of the burden as he frees us. And then he directs us into, into working for him. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that is here and listening on the internet. Lord, we pray that if there's anybody that doesn't know you that hears this message, that they will put their trust in you and will be saved and will be set free and that they will start reading their Bible and seek out Christians to share that with. And we just thank you, Lord, and ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.